Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Middle East Forum's webinar series. My name is Winfield Myers. I'm the director of Campus Watch, and I will be hosting today's webinar. Our guest today is Tammy Rossman Benjamin. Tammy is the director of the AMCA Initiative, a nonprofit that investigates, documents, and combats anti-Semitism at American universities. She taught Hebrew and Jewish studies at UC Santa Cruz for a decade and went to McGill University undergraduate and holds graduate degrees from Concordia and the University of Pennsylvania. Tammy, welcome. We're, we're very happy to have you with us today. It's great to be here, Wayne. Uh, I want to start our discussion by noting uh, something that you and I and others have discussed and written about over the years, and that is that so often BDS supporting faculty, and by that we mean faculty who sign petitions, write letters, uh, take part in activist uh, activities <clears throat> of one kind or another designed to isolate and boycott Israeli academic institutions, including their professors. Uh, that includes also prohibiting sending American students abroad to study in Israel uh, very often. But they defend their actions by claiming that they are only acting personally. Those are their personal beliefs, their closely held beliefs, but they would never under any circumstances uh, bring those beliefs into the classroom. Uh, Campus Watch wrote about this several years ago. We noted that six directors of federally supported through Title VI uh, federal funds, Middle East Studies Centers, were in fact uh, signers to various petitions to, uh, to boycott Israeli academic institutions. And they all said this. They said, well, this is nothing to this. We, we don't really um, mean anything by this. And uh, it's just our, our personal beliefs and they're none of your business, basically. And you can, you can just leave us alone for this. However, the reason we're here today to discuss this, this problem is that AMCA studies have proved this claim false by demonstrating a statistically significant correlation between supporting BDS and assigning work by other BDS supporters, uh, which makes sense when you think about it because so many of these people are such rabid activists against Israel, it's pretty difficult to swallow their line that they are uh, simply um, objective in the classroom but not outside of the classroom. Um, Tammy, could you please tell us a little bit about that and about the results of your studies and, and how you interpret them? Sure, sure. But first, I actually want to make a, a little bit of a distinction between, because I think it's crucial here, um, mm -hmm. about what an academic boycott is, not just of Israel, really of any country, but it happens to be that the only country uh, <laughs> on which there is an academic boycott is Israel. Um, but, but the academic boycott is very different from other BDS campaigns, for instance, divestment or, um, you know, boycotting Sabra Humus or something like that because the academic boycott actually affects not only you know israel and israeli academic institutions but but even more it affects american institutions it affects any student faculty member who wants to study about or in israel so academic boycotts not only make faculty commit to boycotting the flow um, of information and knowledge about Israel or to work to cancel programs designed to help students learn about Israel, 
that, that that's the first part. That's really the boycott part, the canceling part. But the second part of the academic boycott, which is actually the more insidious part and the thing that we really see in spades in uh, Middle East studies programs, is the boycott's call to what it calls fight the normalization of Israel in the global academy. Because that fight, that you know, anti-normalization effort actually obliges faculty to not just boycott and cancel, but to develop and implement academic programming that portrays Israel in a wholly negative light, that demonizes and delegitimizes Israel. So yes, we did do um, a really interesting study about this, um, looking at about 50 faculty on dozens of different campuses, including several Middle East studies faculty, um, who were teaching courses about Israel. And we found that those instructors who support an academic boycott of Israel have four times more readings, course readings that are authored by BDS supporters than course instructors who don't support BDS. So it's really a sort of a, 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 um, a conclusion that's really hard to deny that academic boycotters are not just holding these beliefs that they leave at the door to their classroom. They're actually bringing these beliefs into their class and integrating it into their uh, curriculum. And that they're, they're, it, it's pretty irrefutable in this case. Um, and yeah, so I guess that's, that's, that's really what, you know, you ask because of course, of course, people have the right to their political beliefs. They have the right even to support an anti-Semitic boycott. But I would submit that they do not have the right to bring that into their classrooms, it's particularly particularly in classrooms uh, of public institutions, and even more so um, in classrooms that are being funded by the federal government. Yes, that's right. And it, it doesn't say much for their belief in academic freedom, does it? I mean, they, they claim freedom for themselves. On the one hand, I have the freedom to teach, uh, even if they admitted it, biased material against Israel, because I don't like the place. and I think it shouldn't exist. Um, but what about the academic freedom of the Israeli academics or of students who wish to travel to Israel and study abroad program? Or, of course, of their peers. This is the, the great irony of this. They're boycotting a country in the region of their own specialization, right. of their own right. study. So what about their own peers who wish to go to Israel to access manuscript archives or do sociological research or anthropological research, all sorts of research, or as you said before, Israeli academics who wish to come to the States to do that and be sponsored by, uh, in this case, let's say one of the boycotters institutions. Right. I mean, this is the, the fact that these that these individuals, that these you know so-called professors, are are willing to hold their their students and colleagues as collateral damage in their in their anti-Zionist you know uh, uh, political activism is really nothing less than morally reprehensible. And I really do think that's an important case that needs to be made. That it's not just about Israel. Look at your own campus. Look at what happens to U.S. students. To U.S. faculty, how how faculty use their own uh, jobs, their classrooms, their conference halls, to actually you know promote a political agenda that hurts their own students. Sure, That's an outrage. Sure. It is an outrage. It is. Um, well, tell us which disciplines in which disciplines were instructors most likely to support BDS and to assign work written by BDS supporters 
or to invite pro-BDS speakers? Yeah, so not surprisingly, um, a lot of the academic boycotters are, of which at this point, we actually got a, a, a surge in faculty who support the academic boycott now after mm. the uh, Israel-Hamas conflict. Yeah. Uh, in May, but so there are about 3,000 faculty across wow. the country. About 20% of those have um, uh, affiliations, either either primary or secondary, in Middle East studies. Hmm. But actually, the at the top of the pack, with about 36% of all academic boycotters, is ethnic studies, where with you know faculty who have either a primary or secondary affiliation in that discipline. Hmm. Um, and gender studies is actually second, uh, with 26% of academic boycotters. But Middle East studies is third, about 20, as I said, about 20% of all the academic boycotters in the mm. country are have some affiliation to Middle East studies. And in some of those cases, they have joint appointments, I would imagine, too, that's between right. Middle East studies and ethnic studies. Um, it, for, uh, it seems to be a fairly obvious reason. These are fields of study that are founded upon uh, an academic grievance. I was saying that these are sort of professional victimization studies in the case of ethnic studies so often. It needn't be that, but in fact, that's what it is. On that's so many right. And the basic sort of sort of intellectual um, or, or ideological tenets of the discipline, right? For instance, mm -hmm. post-colonialism. That mm -hmm. that's that's just a uh, that's just a uh, uh, I don't know a, um, a code word for anti-Zionism. <laughs> Sure. That's really sure. what post-colonialism is. So if you have a field that, yeah. that starts, uh, you know, that I heard a, a, a head of a, a um, uh, Middle East studies program at, at, at Brown University um, mm. who talked about how Middle East studies actually starts with a post-colonial um, uh, idea that that actually Israel is a settler colonial state. And that's not that's not even objectionable in the discipline anymore. Right. Um, but what we find, sort of going back to your question, what we find is those disciplines like Middle East studies that do have academic boycotters that are part of their discipline are actually five times more likely in Middle East studies to actually host events, conferences, classes um, with speakers uh, who support uh, a boycott of Israel. Mm. So they are, once again, more yeah. evidence, as if we needed more evidence, more evidence yeah. that these faculty are actually bringing this stuff um, onto campus and into their classrooms and conference halls. Yeah, the old saw was, of course, uh, among social scientists that the correlation is not, not causation, but in this case, you really have shown uh, the correlation is causation. I mean, the, the, the link is statistically significant. And, there's and there's really, no other explanation. Uh, be, I mean, yeah. Right. Um, one of the most disturbing elements of this, too, is that this uh, isn't limited to the classroom. The fallout of this, you know, ideas have consequences. And they have consequences in this case, not just within the classroom, not just within what we might call academic studies. Um, but in fact, there is a correlation between uh, the, the number of pro-BDS speakers on a campus, the amount of anti-Zionist expression by students themselves, and the amount of anti-Jewish hostility on a campus. Uh, could you discuss that for, for a moment, please? 
Yeah, sure. I mean, our studies, and we do an annual study of anti-Semitic activity on campuses across the country, mm. um, and our studies consistently show a very strong and very robust correlation mm. statistically um, between anti-Zionist rhetoric, BDS, um, activity on campuses, uh, anti-Zionist mm -hmm. rhetoric, whether it happens in classrooms, but certainly on the campus square, for instance, Students for Justice in mm -hmm. Palestine, um, uh, Apartheid Israel Week, like that, let's say that, there's there's extraordinarily strong relationship between that, uh, the existence of such rhetoric on campuses, and acts of anti uh, Jewish, but also anti-pro-Israel. It's not just mm. limited to Jewish students. It's really sure. anybody who's sort of pegged as a Zionist um, uh, activity. That includes assault, vandalism, uh, harassment, bullying, mm. uh, suppress suppression of speech, discri outright discrimination. Uh, you know, trying to you know hound kids out of student government who hold Zionist beliefs. That there's a that schools with evidence of anti-Zionist rhetoric are about seven times more likely oh. to show incidents of I mean such incidents on their campuses. Um, and that's really like I said, it's robust. It's from year to year, and it's and it's a very strong correlation. But an interesting correlation, right? That that really is. Um, I think one of the most interesting correlations that we found, and we also find this consistently, is that schools with one or more academic boycott, or for instance, not for instance, but a faculty, we keep track of all the faculty on all the campuses who have publicly endorsed an academic boycott of Israel. So that schools with one or more faculty boycotters, and we have some schools that have you know, well over a hundred uh, faculty boycotters, but schools with one or more boycotters are five to six times more likely uh, to show um, uh, uh, such incidents of, of anti-Jewish and anti-pro-Israel student harassment. Um, so we, we know that the, that the faculty themselves aren't going out and beating kids up, but yet it's really clear, it's really crystal clear with our other studies, if you put it together, that these faculty are really using their classrooms as political bully pulpits that really does have an impact on their students who then take it out to the campus square, which results in the beating up of, you know, either sort of uh, harassment, verbal, physical harassment of Jewish and pro-Israel students. Sure, and if, uh, you mentioned uh, Students for Justice in, in, in Palestine. Um, of course, that's founded by Hatem Bazian, a lecturer in Arabic at UC Berkeley. And uh, so he is a professor who is directly involved in this. We see it at San right. Francisco State, Rabab Abdul Hadi, uh, who has uh, agitated on campus time and again, declared her campus to be a, a place in which uh, Zionists are not welcome, and, and on and on and on. So the, the faculty involvement in this is uh, mostly, as you say, in the classroom and in the um, uh, in, in what they write. But some of them are out manning the barricades too at the same time, and, and in a way that just um, like both of those, like Hatem Bazian and Rabab Abdul Hadi, both of those are manning the barricades. Yes, exactly, exactly. Let's we'll take a couple of questions. Just some questions from our um, audience. David Levine asks. He says. Due to all the government money colleges and universities receive, and virtually every college and university receives them, there are a few exceptions here and there, but not many. Uh, he says, therefore, shouldn't various government agencies get involved 
as they would if say anti-black activities were supposed were supported by faculty members what are legislators of Jewish origin, mostly Democrats, doing about it? I would broaden that say, what are, what are legislators doing about it uh, in general? I know you've been involved in that over the years as well. Yeah, and so have you. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> not enough. the answer is not enough, not nearly enough, that we've had um, an effort with, with Middle East Forum, Hamchai Middle East Forum and other organizations, mm -hmm. to actually approach the federal government, the Department of Education in particular, mm -hmm. that actually gives out the funds to these uh, Middle East Studies programs under Title VI of the Higher Education um, uh, 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 act and yeah. what the, the case that we make which which seems like an airtight case um is the fact that look you're giving money to middle east studies departments to study a region of the world right to actually mm -hmm. and it says in their mission statements to promote the you know research collaborations right. to to promote the flow of knowledge what is an academic boycott it's actually antithetical to the mission of this funding if you have got to make sure you have got to have safeguards to make sure that 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 these grantees are not going to use that money to actually implement an academic boycott. So far, we haven't been successful in getting the federal government to listen to us. But I think that, you know, it's in their interest to, to actually listen to us. They're Absolutely. wasting their money. They're wasting their money and they're using it to support uh, overt hatred. I mean, there's no, right. no two ways about it. Um, uh, an anonymous attendee asks, and this is along the same lines. Why are presidents and college officials silent? What What do you think? Of, is there an explanation or two for why not just professors, but so many administrators refuse to speak up against this? Every once in a while, someone does, but not very often. It's tough because really university at universities, it's the faculty that rule the roost. They have mm -hmm. tenure, administrators don't. And they're and and frankly, university presidents are frightened of their faculty. They're frightened that their faculty could hound them out, like like what's what happened at Harvard with Lawrence Summers, right? Mm -hmm. About 20 years ago. That mm -hmm. that there really is there, and plus which you have this grip on, you know, the mantle of academic freedom. Freedom, right, so-called academic freedom, mm -hmm. which which is really uh, just allows them co to continue to politicize the academy under the mantle of academic freedom. And mm -hmm. I think until we can actually bust that open, and we're actually working on that, working on trying to get university administrators to actually have safeguards against politicization in the classroom, not to make this an issue about Israel or an mm -hmm. issue about academic boycotts, but to say, look, everybody suffers, right? Academic integrity suffers. The academic mission of the yeah. university suffers. Students suffer. Faculty suffer. You've got to you've got to have safeguards to prevent this from just sort of flying out of control, which is where it is now. Mm -hmm. And to um, back up just a little bit, I'm going to ask a question too. Before uh, we, we mentioned the um, statistically significant correlation between signing these various petitions and, and, and slanting your classroom this way. Um, within the classroom itself, when, when someone comes in to, to speak uh, out against um, 
uh, Israel, and, and we know that they have signed a petition calling for the academic boycott of Israel. Um, it, it, it becomes a tough, doesn't it? How do we address that within the classroom given their protections uh, in academic freedom? You mentioned earlier that it's hatred to do this, and it is, I agree, but how do you, how do you go about addressing this? In a, in a, do we do, is it more publicity that's needed, more pressure on uh, legislators, more pressure on college boards of trustees, on donors, well, uh, on taxpayers? All of the above, all yeah. of the above, Quinn. I mean, I think, for instance, but there are, what we're trying to do, at least with respect to universities, is to actually appeal to policy. So for instance, and there isn't a lot of good policy out there, but one piece of good policy, in fact, if it would only be enforced, it would be terrific, is actually at the University of California, which mm -hmm. they have since 1970, they have what's called the Regents Policy on Course Content, which says that, that faculty may not use the classroom for the purposes of political indoctrination, right? Mm -hmm. That that's considered misuse of the classroom. Now, the tough part is getting the University of California to actually enforce that. We yeah. were successful in getting them to enforce that with graduate student teaching assistants about six years ago when mm. they voted, when the graduate teachers um, union voted uh, to endorse an academic boycott of Israel. And we went to the president at the time of the University of California and we said, wait a second, these are, you hired these students to teach courses well, are you going to let them into the classrooms to actually propagandize and to promote a boycott that hurts students? And they actually said, no, this is against the policy. And they actually sent such a memo out to all of the campuses. That, that's the, if we could get them to do that for faculty, tenured faculty, that would be terrific. And to get schools across the country to develop such policy, to recognize that there, that, that there, is, there are limits to academic freedom, that there are abuses of academic freedom that need to be uh, sort of safeguarded against. Somewhat analogous to a chemistry professor spending all time teaching physics, right, or something else. I mean, they're, they're abusing their ability to talk about whatever they wish in the classroom. Uh, Jeff, let me ask another question from the audience because we're getting several. Uh, Jeff Billingham says, I keep hearing I'm anti-Israel, not anti-Jewish. I never believe it, but can you articulate a good response to that questionable claim? And, and maybe in, in light of what your research has shown, because a lot of these professors, of course, say precisely that. You know, I say, uh, you know, I, I, I can, I can actually give a whole talk on this, um, and I've written a lot about the relationship between anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism. Um, but I, I know, you know, I guess maybe probably most people on this call know that anti-Zionism is a form of anti-Semitism. But, but I say it shouldn't matter. Right? I say, who cares, right? I believe in the, you know, we use the definition, the IRA definition of anti-Semitism, which actually clearly shows the relationship between anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism. But I say whether a university administrator or anyone accepts that definition is irrelevant. If you hurt students, mm -hmm. that's wrong. That shouldn't happen. Whether you do it because you're an anti-Zionist or because you're an anti-Semite, I don't care. I don't care what's in your heart. I care what you do. I care the impact you have on 
on the campus climate and on students. And that's all I care about. The problem that we have with today's society, including today's laws, like the Title VI of the Civil Rights Act, is you act actually have to show what's motivating the, the, the perpetrator before you can get redress or, or relief from that harm, right? And if, you, if, if, what's, if what's determined to motivate the harasser isn't seen to be protected under Title VI, then you don't get protected from that. I say, who cares if you're hurting any student, Jewish, non-Jewish, because non-Jewish students are hurt. You know, non-Jewish students who stand up for Israel are hurt just as much sure, as Jewish course. students. Yeah. And that's Pro-Israel students right can be harassed regardless of, of their own religion. That's right. Of course, of course. Um, you mentioned uh, a moment ago, um, <clears throat> administrators being afraid of faculty. I, you know, there's been a lot of uh, articles out over the past few years about how um, about the proliferation of administrators. We've all seen that. Uh, there was one about Yale that came out this week. There are now as many administrators at Yale as there are students. Um, with this proliferation of uh, administrators, uh, you know, people who have turf wars, they have a dean will have, you know, we call them deanlets, numerous deanlets working for them, and all of them are grabbing territory. Um, uh, what are the effects on the student body, you think, of supporting the kind of ideology that we've discussed here among the professors, but now enforced not merely in the classroom or with the professors, but by administrators themselves, uh, which can move into dorm life, it can move into student groups, uh, recognition of student groups, derecognition of them. Uh, there was this uh, story a few years ago about the, the lady at USC, you know, the student president who was forced to resign because of this. Uh, have, you, have you noticed it, uh, things getting worse in part because of the sheer growth of administrators who are invested in this kind of uh, radicalism? Because many of them, from my reading, are in fact uh, as radical as the professors, sometimes yes. even more so. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them are coming in to support sort of diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. And that's mm -hmm. that's a real problem. And it's a problem because it doesn't, those diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, initiatives are identity-based. They're mm -hmm. completely sort of immersed in identity politics, which doesn't include Jews. Or if it does include Jews, it says the, on the wrong side of the equation. <laughs> it's in a bad way. So again, I think that the best way, you know, I don't, I don't think it's I, personally, I think it's not good to try to fit into that system, to try to talk about it through the lens of anti-Semitism. I think we have to talk about it on terms that everybody gets, which is, it, which is that it's not okay to hurt kids. It's yeah. not okay to harm your fellow faculty. And I think that we have to keep going back to that because the narrative on campus now is the opposite of that. I agree with you. It's, that's the, but that's the source of the problem. And so how do you get around that problem? I think that you have to push a different framework, a different way of looking at this that gets everybody to agree that no student should be hurt, irrespective of his or her identity and irrespective of the identity of the harasser or the motivation of the harasser. Sure, sure. Uh, we only have a, a few minutes left. Why do you think academe has become, if, if indeed it has, I'm postulating this, the, the center of anti-Semitism and uh, you know, vociferous anti-Israel activism in America? Uh, you know, traditionally, say 100 years ago, 
there was no Israel, of course, but there was certainly anti-Semitism, sort of waspy anti-Semitism in a variety of places in the Ivy Leagues and other places that limited the uh, enrollment of Jews. Um, today, um, it's a little different approach to that, and it seems to me to be uh, institutionalized in a different way. So it comes from, not from the far right or from, uh, as I've called it, waspy anti-Semitism. This is a, a more a pseudo-intellectual form of anti-Semitism originating in the university uh, and, and certainly ensconced there and very difficult to pry out. Um, why, how has that happened? Why do you think that's true today? I think it happens because we have radical activists that have taken over in sort of like the slow march through the Instagramsian sort of mm -hmm. slow march mm -hmm. through the institutions that have taken over the institutions and, and politicized them. And mm -hmm. I think it's directly correlated with the extent to which politics has has come into the classroom. And mm -hmm. that's why I think that the antidote to that is safeguards against that. Really, I mean, I think, because I think once you allow political activism into the classroom, for instance, mm -hmm. the, an unprecedented, uh, something unprecedented that we've never seen before is whole departments actually coming out mm -hmm. with anti-Zionist statements. Whole departments, yeah. 160 of them last May, came mm -hmm. out with anti-Zionist statements, some of them supporting the boycott. And they said it in the name of our discipline, as, as you know, as, as members of ethnic studies or as members of feminist studies or Middle East studies, we feel obliged, you know, to, to promote Palestinian liberation and to fight the aggressor apartheid. Israel, right? We've never seen before this before. It's unprecedented and extremely frightening because once you open the door to this kind of un unbridled politicization, anything is possible. And, and, and experience, you know, in 3,000 years of Jewish history, experience is that when you open the door to this kind of evil, the first thing that comes out is really Jew hatred. So it, that's why it's not surprising. This is a manifestation of the broader politicization of academe. Absolutely. And uh, it's, it is, um, you know, it, of course, uh, held up by the gatekeepers who do the hiring. That's right. You hire intellectual clones, and you run out those who have the temerity to, uh, to uh, disagree with you, especially those who disagree vociferously. That's right. Yeah, and it keeps it uh, intellectually uh, homogeneous, which is the, we're all the, the losers uh, for that. Well, Tammy, as we're running out of time here, uh, tell our audience, please, how they can access these and other studies that AMCA has published over the past several years. Sure, our website has everything more than you, you'll have time in a lifetime to look at because we also have a huge database of anti-Semitic uh, incidents that happen in real time. Um, www.amcainitiative, uh, the name of our organization, A-M-C-H-A initiative.org. Yeah, I would advise people to go there. There is, as Sammy says, there is a wealth of information there, and I believe people can even report anti-Semitic, uh, anti-Israel uh, incidents to you, can't they, at the same time via your website. Absolutely. So, well, this has been fascinating. Tammy, thank you so much for joining us today. This has just been excellent. I know our audience has appreciated, has really enjoyed it. And for those of you watching, remember to look out over the weekend for additional emails coming to tell you about our webinars coming up next week. Uh, again, thank you so much for joining us, uh, and we will see you at our next webinar. Bye-bye. Take care.